Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with, with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, we thank you so much for Chris. We thank you for the gifts you have given him. We pray for your anointing on him tonight, Holy Spirit. Open our ears, our eyes, our hearts to receive your word. May Chris be a vessel of your love and grace. Amen. Okay, can you hear me? I'm on. Cool. Uh, can I take one of these things? Yeah. Okay, so uh, Romans 12 is our passage for this evening. I don't know if you know, but uh, my, uh, my job is as a painter and decorator. And uh, I'm a very good one as well, by the way. <laughs> so uh, if you need anything doing, just let me know. I've got some cards in my back pocket. Give you a decent price. Mates rates. But one thing about uh, being a painter and decorator is that preparation is very important to me. So if you ask me to come to your house and... Uh, decorate your living room, as Andy and Emma Noonan will testify, I'm not the sort of person 
that will come in and just skimp on the preparation and gloss uh, your skirting boards and your doors without doing a proper job. So I think it's only right, bearing that in mind, that tonight I try to just do a little bit of preparation before we go into Romans 12, because just going into Romans 12 is a bit strange, because it's like starting to watch a film two-thirds of the way through without really understanding who the characters are, what's the plot, you know, what's happened, where's it all leading to. You can't watch a film that way, and I don't think you can really address scripture in the same way either. So I'm going to try and do a little bit of preparation. And if I could use an analogy, I'm not really going to strip back all the paintwork. I'm not going to sort of seal all the knots and all the rest of it. It's just going to be a light rub down and then we'll put the undercoat and the gloss on, okay? And that's a cheap job, so... (laughs) So it's a bit quick and hopefully... I can do it a certain amount of justice. And you might be thinking to yourself to begin with, where on earth is he going with all of this? Because we're meant to be talking about Romans 12. But hopefully, sort of like, if you stick with me, indulge me a little bit, we'll get to the stage where hopefully you'll sort of think to yourself, ah, right, okay, that's why he sort of rubbed down the woodwork, because now it's all going to stick together. So here we go. Ready? Right, let's put the glasses on. Okay, Romans 12. So John has just read it very, uh, very well, so I don't need to read it again. So let's just go through a quick bit of preparation, if we can. All right, first thing to say is that even though this is a book in the Bible, it is essentially a letter, all right? So we need to look at it as a letter. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never written a letter and divided up my letter into chapter and verses, okay? When Paul wrote the letter... He didn't write it with chapters and verses, all right? They were put in much later. And so, in a way, that can kind of detract from the way we approach this. So let's, first of all, remind ourselves that when the Roman church would have read this, they wouldn't have had the chapter and verse divisions. They would have just read it as it actually is, as a letter. And of all the letters that Paul wrote, this is the longest by far. Uh, I'm told that on average he used 1,300 words per letter, but for this one, 7,000. So there's a bit of useless information for you anyway. All right, there's lots more to come, so don't worry. So anyway, this is a letter, but in a way, it's kind of like a lecture. And unlike all of his other letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, etc., Paul had had no previous contact personally with the church in Rome. So from that point of view... It's very different because Paul used to go around planting churches. He took a real keen interest in their progress, in their maturing process and everything. And that's why those letters were written, because he already had contact with them. There were people there that he, he, he led to the Lord. But this isn't the case with Rome. And he, wrote, he writes this letter whilst he's in Corinth. It's on his third missionary journey, his last missionary journey. And it's around AD 55. So why did Paul write this letter? Well, Rome was strategically placed geographically between the East and the West Mediterranean. All roads lead to Rome and out of Rome. And it was the capital of the empire. And it's natural that Paul would want to preach there. And we can read in other places in scripture that he actually said that that was his ambition. So by this time, he's effectively evangelised the East Mediterranean. He's looking to the West, and he's looking to go to Spain. Not Benidorm, I don't think. 
uh, or places like that. Uh, and we know that that's the case because in Romans 15:28, he actually says that he's got an ambition to go to Spain. It could be that he's writing this letter as a way of preparing the Roman church for his personal visit by kind of almost sending them a kind of treatise of his, of his doctrine, just to make sure that he can show them that his doctrine's kosher. Possibly, I don't know. But what about its context in terms of the situation that the church found itself in at the time? This is what's called uh, a Sitzenleben, its situation in life. Who planted the church? Well, we don't know. But we do know, uh, if we go to Acts chapter 2, that... Jews were present at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. And as a consequence, those same Jews would have been around when Peter preached his first gospel. The gospel that he preached when 3,000 people come to the Lord. So we know that there were Jews from Rome that were there at the time. And it's possible that those new converts, with their newfound faith in Christ, have gone back to Rome and set up that church. So to begin with, exclusively, the church in Rome is Jewish. It's completely Jewish in its cultural makeup. We know that there were 40,000 Jews in Rome, so there's a big population there. So to begin with, the Roman church was Jewish, not Catholic. So consequently, over time, Jewish converts would have begun to have preached to other people, to a people that were coming in, trades, trades, you know, coming in and all the rest of it. And as a result, the church would have become mixed. It would have been part Jewish, it would have been part Gentile. For your information, we're Gentiles. We're non-Jews, okay? doesn't mean to say we're gentle, but we're Gentiles. Okay, so then it, the second phase of the Roman church is it's mixed. All right, you with me so far? Okay, let's keep going. Now, something interesting happens at this time. And I think what happens now really begins to help set the scene for what we're moving into now. Because during the reign of the Emperor Claudius, uh, the Jews were expelled from Rome. Every single Jew was expelled from Rome. So persecution of the Jews is not something that was just solely... Uh, the domain of uh, the German Nazis. This was going on a long time before. And we know that if we look in Acts chapter 18, 1 to 3, that Priscilla and Aquila were one of that number that was actually expelled from Rome. Because it says uh, in Acts chapter 18, verse 1, uh, if you want to turn to it after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, uh, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So we know, even from Scripture, that this is the case. This is an historical fact, and Scripture backs it up. Not that Scripture needs to, because Scripture is historically accurate. So... The Jews are expelled. Uh, So then what happens is, is that over time, the church then becomes exclusively Gentile. So to begin with, it's Jewish. Secondly, it becomes both Jewish and Gentile. And in the end, it becomes exclusively Gentile. 
Then what happens? Claudius dies. Nero invites them back. Now, the Jews come back into a church situation very different from the one they'd had originally known. And as a consequence, tensions are obviously arising because the Gentiles now see themselves as having replaced the Jews. And this is the situation that Paul is writing into. And no doubt maybe Priscilla and Aquila informed him of a few of the things that was going on there because they would have gone back probably when Nero allowed them back. So he's getting a little bit of inside information. Right, why say all this? Because Romans 11, I feel, is fairly crucial to understanding Romans 12. So let's go to Romans 11, just very quickly. In Romans 11, Paul's reminding uh, the church that the church's roots is essentially Jewish. Jesus was a Jew. The patriarchs were Jews. The disciples were Jews. Everyone who wrote the books of the Bible were Jews. The root that we have is a Jewish faith. And sometimes we forget that because we, we tend to approach the, uh, the Bible from a kind of a, a, a Hellenistic sort of point of view. But here, Paul's really addressing the real nub of the matter. Let's just pick out one or two things. He says to the church, again, did I ask in... Uh, chapter 11, verse 11. Again, I ask, did they, the Jews, stumble as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to us, the Gentiles, to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? I'm talking to you, Gentiles, inasmuch as I am apostle to the Gentiles. I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches." If some of the branches have been cut off and you, the wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. And it goes on in the same sort of vein. And so we come to Romans chapter 12. And the whole reason I wanted to just say just those few things is because Romans chapter 12 starts with therefore. And in scripture, I've always been told, whenever there's a therefore, you need to ask yourself why it's therefore. And that's the reason why it's there for. So we're into Romans chapter 12. Let me just find my notes. So therefore, in light of all of this, out of heart, a humble thankfulness to God's mercy, we should be what it says in Romans 12 verses 9 to 11. In light of the fact 
that the gospel was originally for the lost sheep of Israel, in light of the fact that by the grace and the mercy of God, we're able to be grafted into that natural olive uh, branch, in light of the fact that because of the Jews' rejection of Christ, we're able to come in. We should be incredibly humble people, incredibly thankful people. And in light of all of that, we should be able to love sincerely. We should be able to hate what is evil. We should be able to cling to what is good. We should be able to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We should be able to honour one another above ourselves. We should be able to never lack zeal, but we should always have spiritual fervour. We should always be able to serve the Lord. We should always be joyful in hope. We should always be patient in affliction. We should always be faithful in prayer. We should always share with God's people who are in need. And we should always practice hospitality. We should always be able to bless those who persecute us. We should always be able to bless and not curse. We should always be able to rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. We should always be, uh, not proud, but be willing to associate with people of lower position. We should never be conceited. We should always never to repay evil for evil, but always do right in the eyes of everybody. We should always be able to live at peace with everyone. We should never take revenge, revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. But we can do all of those things. But I think now we need to come to the real nub, I think, of how we can live that life. And it's found in Romans chapter 12, verse 5. We can only do all of those things if we're in Christ. If we're in Christ, past, present, continuous, rooted and established in him, as it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. In John 15, 5, Jesus said himself, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. We need to be found in Jesus, a personal living relationship in him, a member of the body of Christ, as opposed to a member of a religious institution. And that's really what I want to get to tonight, because it's in Christ where it really matters. We need to be found in Christ. How can we be found in Christ? I think perhaps we need to be able to hear the kind of sermon that Paul preached, Peter preached, sorry, uh, in Acts. It's It's the sermon that tells us that God in his mercy raised Jesus from the dead. And because of that mercy, because of the fact that he raised Jesus from the dead, we who were once far off can now be brought in to the body of Christ. We can be set free. It's only by the blood of Jesus that we can be in Christ. So what do we do with that? It's as Peter said when he preached to the people in Rome, we need to stop, we need to think that it's through Jesus that we're set free. 
And so what do we do? We need to make a response. The Bible says that we need to be able to repent. We need to change our hearts and our minds, irrespective of who we are, where we're going. There comes a time in everybody's life where I think there's a crossroads, where we're confronted with the truth of the gospel. It's a, it's a crossroad that I came to uh, a few years ago, 6th of October, 1990. My life was going in one direction, and I came into a meeting very much like this, and heard someone tell me that Jesus loved me, that God sent him to die on the cross, his perfect life for my imperfect life, that on that cross there was a divine transaction that took place, that he laid down his life so that all of my sin could be forgiven, so that I could have a new start, so that I could actually know what it meant to be born again. That night changed my life because for the first time I realised that God is real. He's not just a figment of anybody's imagination, but he's real. And he makes an invitation for each and every one of us to come into his presence because he wants us to be blessed. He wants us to know him, to have a personal relationship with him. And I responded on that evening. I can honestly say that my life got much worse afterwards instead of much better. I'm kind of joking. But do you know something? Jesus said, if you come after me and follow me, you've got to take up your cross. You've got to deny yourself. And that is not easy because the flesh never wants to deny itself. The flesh always wants to be greedy. The flesh always wants the things that are contrary to the things that God wants us to have. But I made that response that night, and I did. I repented. I asked God for his forgiveness, and he came into my life. And Lynn wasn't a Christian then, but when I came home, the first thing she said to me was, what's happened to you tonight? And I said, what do you mean, what's happened to me tonight? She said, you look clean. Well, I'd had a shower before I'd gone out. I always do. But it was, it was God actually working in my life. And Lynn became a Christian as well. And that's the invitation that I want to throw out to us. The reality of knowing Jesus Christ as Saviour, having him come into your life, making sense of everything, making sense of the whole world that we live in, the universe, everything that's gone before us, all our hurts, all our pains, all the things that's disappointed us, all the things that's caused us to, to question why are we here on this earth? All of these things can be answered in one man, not in one philosophy, not in one book, but in one man, in Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. He didn't say, I know the truth or I can point you to the truth. He is the truth. In Christ is the truth. And this is what I really want to try and sort of convey to you tonight is the fact that you can know Jesus as your friend as your personal saviour, as your father. He can come into your life. He can transform your life. He can make sense of everything. But he's done it all. On the cross, he's done everything. He's laid down his life, his perfect life, for your imperfect life. And I want to tell you, if you're not in Christ tonight, if you don't need Jesus as your personal saviour, you really need to stop and think and not walk out of this building in the same way that you walked in. Because I'm going to be really honest with you now. If you don't make Jesus your personal saviour, and if Jesus isn't the boss of your life, then someone else is. 
Because if you're not following Jesus, you're following the devil. If you're not following him, you're, if you're not following Jesus, you're following him. If you're not following Jesus, heaven is not going to be your eternal destination. It's going to be hell. Hell was not prepared for people. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. It's not where you should be. And God is giving you an opportunity tonight to cross over from darkness and into light, to cross over from death and into life. It's a life and death situation. We're not playing games. This is reality. This book is the word of God. This book tells us about Jesus. It's as stark as that. If I didn't tell you that tonight, I would be lying to you. If I didn't tell you to that, that tonight, I'd be tickling your ears. And I'm not here to tickle your ears. I'm here to tell you that Jesus died on the cross because he loves you. And that demands a response. You can either accept him or reject him. But from here on in, my job is done. I can walk away with a clear conscience. And now it's over to you. My prayer is is that you'll do the same that I did 20 years ago. My prayer is, is that you'll accept Jesus. Because that's what he wants for you. That is the meaning of life. When you have Jesus as your Lord and your Saviour and your friend, it's the best thing ever. You'll ask yourself, once you become a Christian, why did you wait so long? My grand waited 97 years, 97 years, to make that move. And on her deathbed, on her deathbed, she asked Jesus into her life. Why wait 97 years when Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it in abundance, an abundant life. Jesus didn't die on the cross to take away all your fun. Jesus didn't die on the cross just to bash you over the head with rules and regulations. He died on the cross because he loves you. If we want to be the kind of people that Romans 12 talks about, let's be in Christ. Let's find our lives hidden in Christ. If you want to speak to me afterwards, I would be so glad, so pleased to be able to just share a little bit more with you and invite you to pray with me so that you too can know my Saviour to know my Lord, to know my God. He's the best. Don't walk out of this room without having done some business with him this evening.